This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. Well, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of competition, back in the 80s, right around 1987, he was rising to major prominence uh, out of New York City, became a really amazing boxer. Who am I talking about? Mike Tyson. Muhammad in 87. Lord. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't listening. He was on access, so they too. All right. So, <laughs> so Mike Tyson rises up out of, and if, I remember when he came out, honestly, and folks were watching. This guy was just knocking folk out, looked like in the first round. And um, a lot of Christians say that he got unusual strength. Maybe he got a little help. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, um, well, anyway, there was, a, there was a fight that was about to take place in October of 87. But back in August of 87, the AP put out a, a news piece that said these two gentlemen are, uh, what's his name, Tyrell Biggs and uh, Michael Tyson are getting ready to have a fight in Atlantic City in, in October. And they interviewed Tyrell, and he said, he said uh, oh, I'm not worried about I'm not worried about it because I got a plan. I got a plan to beat Mike. And the article went on to say that Iron Mike is what they were calling him. Iron Mike basically laughed and shrugged it off and said, everybody got a plan until they get hit. <laughs> and that thing resonated with me because I recognize that many of us have been planning our comeback, but you've been hit. We've been hit with unexpected news and unexpected expenses that came. You know how when your car breaks down, when you're right on the brink of getting your finances in order or or everything looks like it's going well, and all of a sudden your back goes out or your health begins to fail you, or maybe you go to the mailbox and you get some bad news, or maybe it's just your inbox on your computer, and you get some bad news, and it looks like that news sets you back. And, and even though you've made progress, you know, because we can look back and recognize there's been progress that has happened in our lives. God has been faithful to us. God has taken us from A to B to C. We're not at Z yet, but we've made progress. We're not at December yet, but we've made progress in March. And you can see all the progress that you made, but somewhere along the line, when you get hit, something gets inside of your head, almost like Mike Tyson said, and you recognize my plan ain't going to work. It looks like the plan is not going to work. And you get your place, if you're not careful, that you'll start feeling defeated. And you're just in the first round. And a lot of times when we get hit by things that set us back to that point, we find ourselves feeling defeated. And so I got some good news for you this morning. If you came in this morning and you've made progress and you've seen God move in your life and you've seen some results, but you've not seen all the results you've been praying for. You've seen some progress, but you're not all the way there yet. And yet you feel like because you've taken a hit, that you feel like you can't go another further and you feel like you can't make it. I got some good news for this morning because we're going to look at what happens in the same folks we've been following all along with Israel and Nehemiah and how they took a hit and how they wanted to quit and how they felt like their comeback was never going to come. And yet, the, the one thing that they did different that changed everything, and I believe if we do the same thing you're going to find out today, we're going to still see some amazing results. And here's my thing. The scripture the other week said that Philippians 1, 6 says, what does it say? I am confident that he that hath begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. So there's a confidence 
that you can walk in as you leave here this morning, as we conclude this series, that even though the work may not be completed or done, I have confidence for my completion. All right, so if you have not already done so, go ahead and open up to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you're on the Bible app, Version Bible app, um, and you hit on Impact Church events, it'll bring the sermon outline right out for you if you're on campus. Um, if you don't have that, you can open up the book, the Bible, to the book of Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7 through 15. And let's see if we can bring this into play this morning. So, well, let me just jump in, then I'll explain. Now, it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, hold up. The strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come in their midst, hit them, threw that in for extra, okay, and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, and they told us not once, not twice, not five times, but ten times, from whatever place you turn, they'll be on us. Therefore, I positioned men behind, this is Nehemiah saying, Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of all the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So if you remember last week, we were in this very chapter, and Nehemiah was talking about Sanballat and Tobias and how they were enemies. They were not happy about what Israel was doing as far as rebuilding the wall and known as their comeback. And they had some political and economic reasons why they didn't want Israel to enclose Jerusalem with a wall and protect themselves. And so if you remember, despite everything that Tobias and, and, and um, uh, Sam Ballard said, the, we ended with last week that the wall was built to half of its height around the entire city because the people had a mind to work. Do you remember that? Somebody say, the people had a mind. Touch your mind. The people had a mind to work. Okay. But now we pick up. We're in the same chapter. We're not even like 20 verses down. We just go to the very next part. And now 
is setting up, telling us, well, hold up, they done built half of the wall, which means that they can now, if they finish the wall, they can be protected, they can be insulated, they can have peace, they can finish rebuilding the temple. There was always this fear they couldn't bring the gold and other things back in the temple because it's like an open door. People can come in and take the gold and this kind of thing. Anyway, so they begin to get all that progress. They, they make all this progress. The people have a mind to work. We go a few verses down, and all of a sudden, people say, hold up, we can't do it. We're not going to be able to finish this wall. And we start finding out why all of a sudden they conclude, this is their own conclusion, they conclude that they cannot have a comeback. How do you get halfway there and then make a conclusion that you can't go to the rest, the rest of the distance? How do you get halfway to the desired goal, the end result, to the comeback that you want, to what God promised you when he said in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans that I have for you and the thoughts that I think towards you, plans to bless you, plans to prosper you and do you no harm. How do you get halfway into the will of God, halfway into the plan of God, halfway into the promise of God, and then conclude that I cannot have what God said for my comeback? I need you to really catch this. And this thing began to hit me. I said, well, hold up. They just did half of the work. And all of a sudden, they come to this major conclusion that they cannot have. And they're resigned to give up. They're resigned to quit. They're resigned to come off the wall and call it a day. And so I I need you to help me with with something here because I want you to catch something. You ready? So the reasons why they say they cannot have their comeback is already been read in the scripture, but let's go through it. And I want you to think as, as we go through each of the reasons, is it a physical reason why they cannot physically rebuild the physical wall, or is it any, an internal reason? You ready? First one, we read about all read the Amorites and, and, and Tobias and, and Sambalad and the Arabs, they're surrounded on every side. And if you go back and look at the geography, it's literally the south, the north, the southwest, and the east. So they are surrounded by enemies on every side. However, do the enemies surrounding them on every side that have not hit them yet, that have not come physically to hold them back, does that, is that actually a physical thing stopping them from rebuilding a wall, or is it an internal one? Hmm. Then it says we, have, we cannot rebuild the wall because it's too much rubbish. Well, that's interesting because last week they said the same thing, but they got half the wall done. Do you remember that? They said, we can't do it. It's too much rubbish left over from the first wall that was destroyed, yet they moved through that rubbish and built half of the wall. So if you can tell me that you can start the wall with all that rubbish, why can't you finish the wall with all that rubbish too? So as I looked at that, I started to say, is that physical or is that internal? It's internal. Hmm, interesting. Then it says that our enemies that are all around us have been saying, we're going to come in no matter which way they go, we're going to get them, we're going to hit them good, we're going to knock them out in the first round. And the Jews that lived outside of Jerusalem that lived near their enemies were coming back in. And they were not coming one time, not coming two times, not coming five times, but ten times. I can picture it now. The Jews that lived in the outskirts was tweeting the ones that was inside the city. I don't care if you go to the south, they coming. Oh, snap, did you hit it over? Did you go to the east? Ten times they got tweets. Ten times they got bad news. Ten times they went to the inbox and they said, you're not going to make it. Ten times they went to the mailbox and said, you can't go another further. Ten times they got bad news. But was that bad news physically stopping them from rebuilding the wall? Or was it internal? And the more I read this, the more I recognize 
that sometimes our biggest setbacks are not our situation, but our mindset. Sometimes our biggest setbacks are not out there, it's inside here. Sometimes the things that hold us back is how we process what's happening out there. And we begin to internalize all the defeat, all the lack of morale, all of the controversy, all the conspiracy, all the opposition. We internalize it and we start sounding like our enemy. Because a text earlier last week, they, the enemy said they're feeble, they can't rebuild it. The enemy said the enemy said, even God himself, if they call him, God himself can't even help them. Now we're back into the same position, except this time, instead of their enemies saying about them, they're saying it about themselves. We can't rebuild the wall. God himself is not even going to help us get it done. It's too much trouble. All the stuff that the enemy said is now coming out of their own mouth. And that tells you that it's not their situation. It's their mindset. How many times does our own mindset set us backward? I'm going to give a real simple one. How many of y'all have ever tried to lose weight before? I know I have, right? And so I'll be making good progress, making my way to where I think I'm going, and then I might have a little situation come up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And I want to eat more or something that I knew I wasn't planning on eating. But that's not really what set me back. What set me back is the fact that I go, once I ate that, when the next thing comes, I go, well, you already messed up on that one. It really wasn't the circumstance. It was the mindset. Because then it's like, well, you messed up all Monday. You might as well wait till next week, Monday. And you go a whole week setting yourself back, not because that one thing, circumstance, sets you back, but sometimes it's your own mindset. Am I talking to anybody this morning? You know it's a mindset when everybody else around you can see it differently than you do. Woo! That's going to hit somebody on 285. So it's interesting. And I can tell you that I know that I know that I know that it's a mindset. Because I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. You ready? The walls are eventually rebuilt. And nothing in their circumstance changed but them. So it wasn't their circumstance. How many times do we let our circumstance talk us out of God's blessing? And convince us that we cannot have it. And we put a period where God is putting to be concluded, dot, dot, dot. Not because the circumstances have defined it that way, but because we have internalized what we think the circumstances are saying. And so, Nehemiah does something really interesting. Recognizing that his people are feeling defeated, recognizing that his people basically feel like Call it quits. There's no, there's no sense in trying. Nothing's going to change. No matter what we do, if we go to south and try to build the wall down there, they're going to be on us. Go to the east, try to build the wall, they're going to be on us. And so there's nothing I can do. There's nothing we could ever do to ever change it. It's always going to be the same. Am I talking to anybody? You ever talk like that to yourself? No matter what I do, if I try this, this ain't going to work. If I try that, that ain't going to work. If it ain't one thing, it's a, uh-huh, you had that conversation too. And so they have resigned themselves to quit. They have resigned themselves 
that they cannot have a comeback. And Nehemiah does something interesting. The Bible says that he, uh, he repositioned the men on the wall. So he does a few things. He repositions the men in different spots. But this time, instead of them just being on any place on the wall, he said, huh. He said, I'm going to put you where you say you live. You live in Lithonia? I'm going to put you on that side right there, right behind your house. You say you live in Stone Mountain? I'm going to put you right there, right behind your house, the part of the wall that's behind your house. You said you live in Lithonia? I'm going to put you right behind the wall, the part in Lithonia by your family. See, it's a lot different. Like, if you're just building something, and it's like, well, if the enemy comes in, if it don't work out, eh, it just don't work out. I get over it. I'll do something different tomorrow. It's a whole lot different when it's your house having a home invasion. When it's your house that's on fire. When it's your house that's been flooded. All of a sudden, you wake up and say, wait, wait, hold up, hold up. So what Nehemiah says, he said, all right, I'm going to put you now. I'm going to station the men where their wives are, mm -hmm, where their children are, yep, where your sons are, and where your daughters are at. Because what he's letting us know, watch this, it's not that you cannot have a comeback. That's not the conclusion. The conclusion is this, that you cannot have a comeback that way. You have to change your approach. When your approach isn't working, we start thinking, I can't have a comeback. It's not going to happen for me. Maybe I could have a comeback if I was willing to change my approach. Maybe I can stop talking myself out of what God promised me if I changed my approach. Maybe my family could walk in the blessing of God if I changed my approach. Maybe my marriage can move from being unhealthy to healthy if I changed my approach. Sometimes because of our mindset, it gives that we get in the wrong, uh, the, the wrong way of thinking, then we go to the wrong way of doing on how we approach things. And sometimes God allows these setbacks to tell you it's not that you can't have it, it's just that you got to change your approach if you want to still receive it. Now I have a video, I don't know if it's ready or not. Say yay. Okay. So let me set it up real quick. I've showed this a long time ago. It's called Facing the Giants. There's a team here that feels pretty discouraged and pretty defeated, and the game hasn't even happened yet. I'm talking to somebody about your week that's coming up, that before it even comes, you feel like calling it quits. You, before it even comes, you feel like it's not going to work out. Before the next season has even arrived in your life, you're saying it does, it's not even going to work for me. But what we find out here is that the coach walks them through their mindset of feeling defeated to a place of being willing to change their approach. Take a listen. It wasn't a circumstance, it's a mindset, but you can still have that comeback if you'll change your approach. You can still have it, and even when you feel like quitting, you know, even when you have put a period where God has put in a to be continued, even when you're tired and you feel defeated, God is able still to give you the comeback, but you might have to change your approach. Look at your name and say, you may have to change your approach. Don't change your ending. Tell them, don't change your ending. Don't change your ending. Just change your approach. You ain't got to quit. You ain't got to end defeated. You ain't got to end broke. Don't change your ending. Change your approach. Change your conclusion. I remember when, and I tell a story because it's, it's just as real to me today as it was, oh, God, 25 years ago when I was him. And I wanted to quit. Actually, I did. 
I was so tired. It was, I'm, I was only three years in. I was on the five-yard line. <laughs> Hadn't even got to the 10-yard line good. And um, I was tired. I, was, I felt defeated. We, we were both burned out. Um, Karen, you know, it's a lot to plan a church. If you ain't called to do it, don't do it. Let me just tell you that. Um, and I knew I was called. We knew we were called. We had made so much progress. And you have to think to move. You have to really believe you're called to do that. We didn't have family or friends in Atlanta. We were very comfortable in New York. Had all the friends and family. We had a wonderful network. If we wanted to plant a church in New York, probably would have took off overnight. The last church we went to, we led 31 people to their membership. It would have been a whole lot easier to plant in New York, but the Lord said, I've called you to Atlanta, and so that's why we came. And we got here, and we all their progress to leave family, friends, home, to plant, to buy a house, our first home, um, to move out of that house and to, and to worship and to cater, to minister on the streets in Atlanta, to give food to the hungry literally week after week, clothes to the naked, to go out on our first Thanksgiving to Hosea feed the hungry and, and be a blessing to the city of Atlanta. We did, I mean, you name it, we had done all that in three years. We had done plays outside, we had done altar calls outside. When, when I tell you we had done so many different things, but after that third year, right at that third year, I said, I can't do it anymore. And so that first Sunday of October, I just probably stood up and resigned. And I said, and, and I said we would, you know, the people that were there, we would help them find another place that they could worship before the month was over, that that would be our last month. And um, some people came and held up my arms and passed Simona's arms and began to pray for us. And, and then the Lord showed me something. He said, you can continue your journey. You just can't continue it the way you're doing it. You're going to have to change your approach. And so it's interesting because what I was doing a lot of it at that time in my life, and I had always done, quite frankly, was doing a lot of it myself. And the Lord showed me, he said, how are you going to do it? You're going to raise up other people. You're going to empower other people. And that's where my leadership journey began. So when you hear me talk about leadership, it's because God rescued me from quitting. And said, that doesn't have to be your ending. You can still have this comeback, but you can't have it the way that you're doing it now. And so I came this morning to tell somebody, things may not be going quite the way you want, and maybe you want to call it quits, maybe want to cash in your chips, but you don't have to. You don't have to conclude your story that way. You just might need to change your approach. There's things God wants to do in your life, and, and I know we try this one way of doing things, this one way of doing things, and our mindset says it has to be this one way, but could it be that God has made a way, just made a way a different way than how you're doing it right now? I was thinking I had to use this story, and she's going to have to send me an offer, and I didn't use her name enough this year. Vicki Winans. I'm going to use her name, yeah. Y'all know who she is, right? So Vicki Winans came on the scene in the mid-'80s. I remember her first CD, and she did really well and all that kind of stuff. She came out with this song that was amazing. If you never heard it, her version of We Shall Behold Him, you need to hear that. Okay. But I remember watching the Stella Awards in the late-'80s late and early-'90s, and um, she got a new record deal. Um, and on the Stella Awards, this is, this is before Kirk Franklin. Kirk Franklin changed a lot of things, but... She came out on the Stella Awards in a very tight leather pants outfit. She looked like Janet Jackson. Y'all follow me? Okay. But it was not very well received. And she was doing a song, Everybody Dance With Me, and she was moving like Janet, okay? Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so she got a lot of backlash from that, a lot of backlash. I mean, like, we didn't have cancel culture then, but if we did, she'd have been canceled. 
And so she tells the story how she went to, she was so disappointed in what happened. She went to the radio station, not to the um, studio herself, and she recorded. She paid for it herself and mailed out to every radio station in the country a, a public apology to be played, asking them to forgive her. And she got out of her record contract, and she said that her record company basically sort of forced her hand to do it. She said, this is her own words. She said, I got hit so bad. When I went down, I was contemporary. But when I got back up, I was traditional. <laughs> True story. And if you listen, you just watch her, her, whether you look at her ministry or her business of selling albums. You know who she's credited to be today? The woman, the hardest working woman in the gospel. Do you know why? She does more shows than anybody else. Shirley, Yolanda, Kirk, anybody. You know why? Because she came back different. Vicky stopped letting the record company manage her, and she started managing herself. She could still have her comeback. She had to do something different. She was managing herself over 25 years now. And I'm saying that to say to you, you can still have your comeback, but it may not be the way you're doing it, how you're approaching it right now. There's a story of a man who had a, had a, 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 a boutique that he had closed. He was still closed, and it was his own that he had made for his family, and they built from the ground up. And so this major retailer came and started buying out all the people on the strip next to him. And they tried to buy him out. He said, I'm not selling my store. They said, we're going to push you out of business. So the day came for their grand opening. And when the grand opening came, all these other businesses were owned by this one retailer. And here's this little mom and pop shop owned by this, you know, small shop owned by, by this family. And so the man thought before, you know, it's over. They're going to take me right out of business. There's nothing I can do about it. But then he got an idea, and he let it be known the day of the opening. And so when they were all coming up to go to these stores, he just simply changed his sign. He said, main entrance here. You going to get it? Okay. I'm moving to my next point. Y'all just, no, 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 don't try to clean it up now. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> Praise God. All right, so, <laughs> so what happens here, let me finish up with this, I'm almost done. What he says is, what you notice that Nehemiah does, he says, okay, I'm going to position men according to their families. Now, I need you to understand that when they came back, if you've been part of this even before we came into this series, if you, I need you to understand that what he's doing here is he's taking them back to the reason why they started building the wall in the first place. The wall was all about protecting their families. And so along the way, though, it became less about protecting their families and more about fighting their enemies. There's a difference. Let me say that. There's a difference between protecting your family versus fighting against your enemies. I'm going to say it one more time. There's a difference between protecting your family versus fighting your enemies. Let me give you another. So what he says here, he says, he says, he put them in stations behind their houses and said, fight for your family, fight for your family, fight for your family, fight for your family. And notice that he's not saying fight against, he's saying fight for. See, see, what that would have meant to them is this is the reason why you even started to build the wall 
to start with. This is the reason why you began the building. It was always for your family. It was always for your community. It was always for your people. And so what he's actually saying is when you get discouraged and you feel like quitting, when things don't come together the way you feel like they should, and you want to throw in the towel because you feel defeated, he says, remember your why. Remember why you started in the first place. Remember why you said yes to Jesus in the first place when you feel like backsliding. Remember why you told that woman you loved her in the first place when you feel like ending your marriage. Remember why when you feel like walking away from your business, you went into business to start with. One of the motivators that we forget when we start doing something is our why. And sometimes you got to revisit your why. You got to go back and why did you make all this progress? Why did you start going to school? Why did you try out for the team? Why did you begin college? Why did you move to Atlanta? What is your why? Why, do you, why did you come to Jesus to start with? Sometimes we got to stop. When we see ourselves straying and we see ourselves falling off, when we see our, and we get to a point that we want to quit, well, why did you start? Why did you start your weight loss journey? What was your why? If your why isn't strong enough, you'll certainly fall off. If you don't have a strong enough why, and that's, then that's the reason why fighting against your enemies is not even necessarily a strong enough why, but fighting for your family can be. See the difference? It's all right to fight against your enemy. It's better to fight for your family. That's the reason to get up in the morning. That's the reason to get up and go to church in the morning. How about that? That's the reason to get on your knees at night and pray. How about that? That's the reason to get on a prayer line on a Tuesday morning. How about that? When you recognize, I'm not doing this for me. I'm, just, I'm not doing this only for me. I'm fighting for my family. I'm fighting for my future. I'm fighting for my legacy. I'm fighting for my lineage. I'm fighting for my children's children. It's not just for me. This is the reason why I pray. That's the reason why I fast. This is the reason why I read. That's the reason why I serve. I'm fighting for my family. If you don't have a big enough why, you can just stay in the bed Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and start all over again on Sunday again. The reason why we lose motivation is because we forget our why. You said that you believe that there's no life outside of Christ. That was your why. You said that the joy of the Lord is your strength. That was your why. You said that you serve a God that can make a way out of no way. That was your why. You said that if God could just heal your body, you'd get up and serve him. That was your why. You said if God would set you free, you'd surrender your entire life to him. You said that he's your all in all. Don't forget your why when you get discouraged. And the very final thing. He tells them after all of that, or he declares that the plot that the enemy had attempted against them to stop them, it was brought to nothing. It says then that all of us return to the wall, everyone to his work. And what that was, if you go back and read more closely, he set them up. Some had swords and were... Uh, building at the same time, others were watching. It was back and forth. They were switching out. Nobody going to sleep. Nobody taking a break. Nobody stopping. They weren't even stopping to wash clothes unless they was completely essential. And what that says to you and I is we got to get back on the wall, return to the wall. Return to the wall. And, and, and that means that being on the wall means you got to do both. 
you got to work, and you got to watch and pray. And so sometimes we get stuck because we only do one or the other. We often lean on one or the other. Some of us, are a lot of, you know, we do a lot of working for our comeback. We're going to work. So if it's a financial, I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to, you know, get all these jobs. I'm going to do all other stuff. But I may not be praying the way I need you. Y'all, y'all ain't going to say nothing. I may not have time to read my word. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to worship. I don't have time for small group because I'm working for my comeback. Yeah, but the problem with just working for your comeback without being in a place of watching and praying is when the enemy hits you, you won't be prepared to get back up. In others of us, we're praying, 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 but we're not doing any working. So now I'm talking to my streamers. In some cases, uh-huh. Now I'm talking to folks that ain't doing anything in ministry. You can do all that praying, but if you ain't working, what you fail to realize is this. While you're watching the game, God is saying to you, that's nice that you're clapping for the players on the field, but you're the player that's supposed to be on the field. You are watching the game as the audience, whether you're in person or online, and not participating. God is wondering why you're not on the field. Did you hear what I just said? Because your eternal reward, not mine, is based on what you do. Ooh, you quiet. You say that my eternal reward is based on what I do. It is based on my works. Now, your salvation isn't. That's on what he did. Your eternal reward is on your works. So you don't have time not to have time to do his work. Because if you're just here for your agenda, my question would be to you is, why should God keep you here another year? You're on earth for a specific allotment of time, and it's not to do your will, it's to do his. So we've got to pray and work. We've got to watch and pray and work. It's not one or the other. It's both. We've got to balance both of those. I've got to balance what I do for Christ and who I become for Christ at the same time. Stand on your feet this morning. I want to encourage you as we end this series, get back on the wall. I'm going to say that again. I want to encourage you as we end this series, get back on the wall. Let me be really clear, and I'm going to give a visual for this. I would love to give you dessert every Sunday, but I can't. Listen to me. For me, if everything you see me doing right now is where I am, whenever I take a step back from where I am, whether it's how I show up or what I do, it's called backsliding. For me. So every place that I've gotten to my height in God, wherever, whatever that height is, whether it's the way I serve, whether it's the way I give, whatever, every time that I take a step back from where he's put me on the wall, that's called backsliding. It doesn't mean that I slept with another woman. It doesn't necessarily mean that I stole from somebody. It just means that I took a step back from God from where I was. Oh, Jesus. Now, for you, wherever you've been on the wall in your salvation, from Jump Street, Wherever you've been, if you've been on a wall here, but then you're giving less of God in 2022, you've backslid and didn't know it. And the Lord is calling you back to the wall. He's calling you back to your place in God. 
He's calling you back so that you can be, continue to become more like him and continue to do the work that he's placed on your life to do. Because when you stand before God, we all have a final exam. It's only two questions and it's open books. So let me just go ahead and give it to you. First one is, what did you do with my son? If you missed that question, you don't even get to go to question two. You failed. You failed life. But if you get that one right, that's wonderful. Then you go on to question number two. What did you do with what I gave you? Your time, your talent, your treasure. What did you do? And that question, the answer to that question determines your reward. That determines how you live eternally, age without end. And so the best use of earth is preparing for eternity. Did you hear what I said? The best use of earth is preparing for eternity. And when you see people around you, I want to encourage you on how to pray a little bit, a little wider. When you see people around you in Christ, I'm not talking about the unbeliever, in Christ, that were here, but now they're here, they should be on your prayer list. Did you catch that? They should, whether it's your family, it could be your children, your spouse, your next door neighbor, somebody in your group. It doesn't matter. They ought to be on our prayer list because the enemy wants you to back up from everything that God is doing in your life. And backsliding doesn't come by one big jump. It comes by these little steps. I'm going to cheat on prayer this week. I'm going to cheat on the word this week. I'm going to skip out on worship this week. I'll miss this cycle of campaign this week. And before you know it, it's 2024 and you're way out here. And I know a lot of folks today that if you had seen them two years ago, they would have been up there. But right now they're back here. And what you got to say for yourself is, that will not be me. I can see y'all better because the light's not my eyes now. You got to make that declaration that nothing, say, nothing is worth my relationship with God. I don't care about the car, the job, the, the career, the schooling. It doesn't matter, none of that, the relationship, nothing is worth my soul. The greatest comeback that was ever told, we haven't even got to yet. But we're going to get to it on Easter Sunday. And that was that you can have life and have life more abundantly because he loved you that much that he didn't want you to miss it. Are you hearing me this morning? He loves you with an eternal love. And the Bible says that he is not willing or wanting any man to perish, but that all would come to salvation. I want to pray this morning for those who have already come, that God, I don't lose my fire. Because y'all all celebrate 40 years this October. And my prayer is, God, don't let my fire go out. Keep the flame burning in my heart, Jesus. Don't let me become uh, lukewarm, God. Don't let me become callous. Don't let me look at the world and, and, and just kind of just mellow my fire. But God, whatever you start in that 12-year-old boy, let that work continue to the day he sees you. That's my prayer, and that's my prayer for you. Whenever, you. whenever you found God and he found you, that the moment you were baptized, that moment you gave your heart over to Christ, that the fire that you had that day is not put out, that it's not extinguished, that you're back on the wall. And trust me when I tell you, when you're on the wall and in the will of God, there's nothing he won't do for you. There's nothing he won't complete for you. He will bring you through, and your comeback will be manifest in your life completely. I can promise you that. I can promise you that. For you, you see it in your children's children. I can promise you that. 
Lift those hands to Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father God, that your DNA is on the inside of us. That, Father, we have believed you and trusted you for salvation. Now, God, we ask you to come move in our hearts. God, we ask you to change minds, to change mindsets, Father God. Don't let us, God, become lukewarm. Don't let us become, God, on the sideline. Don't let us stay off the wall. But, Father God, help our hearts to yield. Help our minds to change. Set our hearts on fire. Give us a blazing desire on the inside to serve you, to please you, to want your will, to accept your will, to walk in your will, to proclaim your word, God. Use us in our generation. Don't let us waste our life on trivial matters, God. Don't let us waste our life on things that are inconsequential, on things that do not matter, but help us, oh God, to follow after you with a hungry heart, with an obedient mind to trust you. We thank you. We honor you. And we bless you now for it in Jesus' name. Somebody give God praise for that being done in your life. Hallelujah.